Hi and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And uh, we have a new slogan. It's not stay home anymore, but it's stay alert, control the virus and save lives. Your country needs larks. I don't know what your country, what you people have to do. <laughs> this whole fascination with slogans that uh, at least this government has is, uh, I find it peculiar. Well, it's just this theory just popped into my head as I'm about to speak, but it's almost like it's a technique to hold us at arm's length, isn't it? It's almost like going back to the wartime days or, you know, dig for Britain or whatever and... and I think a lot of the a lot of the current politicians are still stuck in that aging empire mindset, and and it is fascinating watching them, just really not understanding the ramifications of stuff like that. You know, the fact that they launched this, then are patently unclear what it actually means, and don't seem to really realise that we're all talking about this on the net as before they've even finished. You know, it's it's so out of kilter isn't it i mean it's a, it's a kind of old-fashioned mindset that just seems weird yeah i mean I, okay i can see the you know fascination with the war and uh, you know keep calm and carry on but i guess the, the challenge is that they get i mean they get challenged about this all the time and uh, yeah, I get it that you know you come up with a slogan that is generic enough, and you can say whatever you want. I mean, what stay alert means? I mean, I can it can mean anything. But if you if you see any interaction of any conversation, really struggle to explain what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. on one way, you know, they answer to any question from any journalist with oh, because you know you have to stay alert. Uh, but on the other hand, every time you, anybody trying to scratch and get a little bit deeper, there's nothing. And uh, there are so many other interesting infor- conversations happening all around this that this little slogan really feels stupid. I've just did pictures of people trying to look like they're staying alert out in the street. You know, just sort of, I don't know. Eyes oh, wide open. Oh, you know. I, I, I've been checking behind my my back through the day. I mean, <laughs> Just in case the little bugs creak up on you. Yeah, I, I don't know what can happen, but you know, I'm I'm alert. It's funny. We've just had a obviously the celebrations for VE Day, and that was bringing back stories about the war and the local one. Um, there's a big bomb crater near our house, and I'd always. Or rather, there's a big hole in the, in the field that I'd always assumed was a bomb crater. And actually, to my satisfaction, God had explained this uh, last weekend because the one of my local farmers here, her dad was in the dad's army. And uh, there was a string of six bombs dropped on the village and the surrounding area. And that's definitely one of the, the holes that were left. But uh, it just reminded me of, of, of the dad's army thing, you know, the whole sort of home guard mm-hmm. protecting the protecting the, the families and, you know... <laughs> We should have something like that to protect us against COVID, you know? Yeah. Or, <laughs> or I, mean, I mean, there, there was, there, well, the, it was actually very interesting how during the war there was uh, all this uh, organization that was there to protect from uh, the imminent uh, uh, German invasion. And, uh, and uh, it, 
you know, for and for quite some time they were sitting there and waiting. It was all grassroots, yeah. locally organized. Uh, it was brilliant. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, well, it's it, it is interesting, isn't it? The, I mean, people make the comparisons with the war, not least the uh, the way that we went through the war with the Conservative government under Churchill, and as soon as it was over, threw them out and put in Labour, who who instigated the National Health Service and the welfare state. And, uh, yeah, but let's let's stop. Start. Let's stop drawing comparison between Churchill and the current administration. Uh, no, that, I know. As I said that, I, I winced internally. <laughs> but but it's more the comparison with Keir Starmer and the the, the appearance of what looks like a grown up uh, opposition, or at least in, at least one of them. And uh, you know, I could see that being another swing after this is well, whenever this is over, you know. But it's I think people's tolerance for the faffing around is going to reduce considerably. Um, any Conservative government that tries to take apart the NHS is going to struggle in the future. And I think people will ho- hopefully will come out with an appetite for maybe policies that look after each other rather than uh, exacerbate the gaps in society. But you know, maybe I'm just being optimistic. Yeah, it might happen. Could you feel all my optimism? <laughs> I can hear you silently thinking, who's he fucking kidding? Speaking of optimism, the last in the last episode we were mentioning the struggles in Italy with the, the tracing app, and we were saying how they had just decided to go with the Apple and Google approach. I was reading today two articles, uh, one written by a security expert and we're trying to explain why it's much safer to avoid concentrating data in the same place and it was mm-hmm. around you don't know who might come in the future and you don't know who what they might do with the data uh, so it might be that today you trust the people but you don't know what is going to happen in the future and you need to design something to be future proof well, of course, on the other side, you had an economist saying, and not a security expert, but saying how important it would be that if we were able to collect all the information, it would be much better. And people anyway are already giving all the information to uh, Google and Apple and Facebook and all the others. And I was thinking, how difficult this whole thing is for whoever is building those apps Mm -hmm. because you know it's already a very hard thing to do and by the way in our last uh, episode we were mentioning how uh, you know germany has just moved from the centralized to the distributed model and like the day after we recorded our podcast uh, here in the uk they announced that they're going to use a centralized model and uh, then they released it. They, they started testing the app on one of the small the White. on the Isle of Wight, and uh, and now there are rumors that are saying that actually they might go back to the distribute to the Apple Google option because well, it's it's kind of more complicated. And one of the folks I know of who I follow on Twitter is kind of quite close to it, or he's close to the people who are doing it. And it's just been interesting watching that toing and froing. I mean the. The original problem was that it failed to pass all sorts of NHS tests for data security and, and several others, I think. Mm-hmm. So that threw it back to the, the the drawing board, as it were. So they're still having a go at trying to get that centralised record system to work. But they then had one of the guys in 
a technical position responsible for it, doing a half-decent blog post explaining it, which sort of swung the needle back a little bit. But then almost immediately that that came out, there were rumours that they might at some point just give up and go back to the decentralised Apple mm-hmm. Google solution. And the, the friend of mine who was sharing this was saying, you know, if, if as this sort of relate back to the com- back to the conversation about slogans, if they had just been communicating better and let you know let the geeks blog about what they're doing and why they're doing it, then a they might have got some help. B they might have had uh, uh, more people on their side. But it's just been a bungled set of communications, and and so they've almost shot themselves in the foot again. No, and, absolutely. You know. Be, you know. Yeah, but that, that, I mean, what what I was was uh, what I was saying is I, how bad I feel for whoever is actually professionally trying to do this. I mean, I I did put at least one app through the NHS approval process, and it's a nightmare. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, building a piece of software is complicated. Building a piece of process, software in as fast as you can because you know we can make a difference yeah. is it's even harder having all these uh, clowns dancing around and throwing out announcements and saying something in the country something i mean oh yeah it's the worst possible environment where you can try to build a decent piece of software yeah. um so it's uh, yeah whoever is doing this I feel for them because uh, I won't criticize whatever application comes out of this process because it's so hard. But isn't that sort of true for most of this that, you know, it's just really hard. It's complicated. It's fast moving. We've not done it before. The bureaucracies of all sorts aren't really set up to deal with these, you know, with the stuff we've talked about in previous podcasts. And up to a point, it's nobody's fault. I mean, there's some real clangers where some very, very odd decisions have been made that, you know, people should be held accountable for. But at the other end of the scale, you know, it's just, it's difficult. And I've got a bit weary, weary of people blaming the government all the time because I'm not sure the opposition, well, certainly previous oppositions wouldn't have done any better. I think that there is a tendency... And it's not just about blaming the government. It's about blaming in general. I mean, it's uh, yeah. yep. it's just much easier to criticize things online and on social media and on the regular media than saying anything constructive. Yeah. And it's uh, and, and it just it's just so easy. I mean, I I guess one of the reasons why I. I Back in the day, I stopped blogging and being active on social media. Did I realized that you know a lot of what I was saying was just complaining about shit? And <laughs> yeah, you start thinking, okay, but whoever is doing that, it's doing something that is very often very very hard. So yeah, I mean, what people fuck up all the time, don't we all? It's uh, yeah. it's uh, there are some moments that are just egregious. But uh, there is a lot of criticism. I mean, I have friends on social media that I struggle following because it's like, look, what do you know about this? I mean, it's yeah. it's so easy to say, oh, you know, I hate this. I don't like that. And, you know, Apple continues to make mistakes with, I mean, I wish I could make mistakes like they do. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, every time something doesn't work, you know, you have you complain, and uh, and when stuff doesn't does work, then I mean, one of the examples of stuff that does work, 
last week, for the first time in my life, I've ordered something on one of those online food restaurants on Deliveroo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I order a pizza from Santa Maria, which is a pizzeria not, not far from here, which is very, very, very good. Um, but, you know, it's probably 10, 15 minutes walk away from here. I said, mm -hmm. I'll order, probably going to get here faster, so you're going to get, by the time you get here, it's hot. Um, I got the pizza. I was holding the box with the pizza and sending a photo back to Monica nine minutes after clicking the order button. <laughs> That's impressive, isn't it? I mean, in nine minutes, they made a pizza, somebody went there, picked it up, drove here, and got delivered. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. I mean, it yeah. won't always be like that. Uh, it was no, no, probably... It's so easy to take that for granted. But, yeah. uh, but uh, if you think about it, it's, it's fantastic. It's just, you know, amazing how well these things work. But, yeah. you know, it's not very... I, I actually did write a blog post about this, but, you know, it's not very popular to say, oh, I did this, it works. Well... Are we doing it to be popular, Paolo? But it's, it's interesting, the whole... It's sort of part of this sort of victim-y thing, isn't it? And and victims of technology. And <laughs> I can tell the story, because I'm pretty bloody sure my dad doesn't listen to this podcast, but he was trying to sort out something about his Telegraph uh, crossword on his iPad. And, you know, Dad's 90, and it, 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 things are just getting harder generally, and I can't go down and help, so I'm having to do this on the phone. And he was pretty smart. He'd got enough to uh, uninstall the app and reinstall it, but it was it was still not doing what he wanted it to do. So I thought, well, we'll just reboot the uh, the iPad. So I got him to hold the power button down, and I said, "So swipe right," and and he said, "Swipe what? The, the button? What button? The, the only button on the screen." And what do you mean swipe right? Well, swipe it in the direction that those little lights are trying really hard to tell you to swipe it. <laughs> and it's just, you think, gosh, you know, all that effort that all these people put into trying to make interface design idiot-proof, you know, and it's still not enough. On the other hand, you see how kids manipulate these devices yeah. and uh, it's almost a second nature. So, it? yeah. Oh, talking of um, kids and technology and adapting and things, finally, I'm getting around to watching Westlight, Westworld mm -hmm. with, with my daughter Molly. Have you, have you, you've presumably... Yeah, I just it. finished season three yesterday. Don't, no, don't tell me. Don't, no spoilers. But I mean, it's just fabulous. People are right. I should have watched it the uh, first time around when, it, you know, when the first series came out. But it, in spades, is just digging into the whole the whole sort of range of topics that we talk about here. You know, the whole thing about consciousness and humanity and technology and how they relate, and it's it's fascinating. I'm loving it. Something interesting is that um, I, I, I won't give you any spoiler. I won't be specific, but there is a character Ooh, at careful, some point. Careful. There is a character at some point that is replaced by a host that looks exactly like the character. And uh, so the original character dies and it's Paolo, actually careful, killed. Careful. I'm not telling you who. And he's killed by a host that looks exactly like him. And, <laughs> you know, this being the last, the last episode of the season, I'm thinking, oh, so next year, the actor, the famous actor playing this character 
won't be there because it has been replaced by a host. Then I thought, yeah, but the same actor is going to be playing the host. <laughs> <laughs> but I was completely said, oh, so That's you know, it's not human anymore. Yeah, it's it's not him really, right? It's a host. It's funny, isn't it? Because uh, I, I was saying to Molly, I was I was feeling sort of slightly unwell as of some sort of tummy bug or something. And uh, as not I'm watching that it, bug, right? No, not that bug. No, okay. and uh, I found myself bizarrely almost like thinking of my my body as 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 the hosts. <laughs> you know, it's just this collection of bits and pieces that sometimes work and don't work, and I need to fix them. And it's just this means of carrying this head around. You know, it's it's quite disconcerting the way it. It's obviously pressing buttons that I'm interested in, but the way it shifts your perceptions as you're watching it. Speaking of uh, feeling like hosts, I. It's something that actually I had been thinking over over some time, but uh, it kind of came back recently uh, in, because I've been spending more time meditating. And, you know, when you meditate, you're basically trying to observe your, your own mind. You're trying yeah. to see your thoughts coming and going. And... Uh, and for some time, my visualization in my mind that I have about this is, uh, you know, those uh, utilities that you use on your computer to monitor the applications that are running and reserves. Uh, I, yeah. I use a, a, a common line tool called Top. You know, you run Top and you see everything that is that's happening. Right. And yeah. I was thinking, that's almost like, you know, meditating, almost like running Top. You're basically, <laughs> you know, you're one step back and you see these activities coming and going and using more resources. Most of the time you are in the application. Most of the time you are using Photoshop, you're using Word, you're using the browser, you're doing these things you're completely swept away but every once in a while you can step back and look hey hold on how much memory is the browser how much memory is yeah. chrome using yeah let's quit it and you know killing an app is like letting go of a thought so it's interesting isn't it and, and how that 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 sequ- you know, one one application after another that you get so embroiled in is a bit like life isn't it and how we, how we think that's reality and uh, you know, again, in the West world thing, you begin to just realise how much of that reality is fabricated by our brains, you know, and the whole thing of memory being the partially remembered, partially understood things that might or might not have happened to you. And out of that, we make all these narratives that we then turn into the politics that we started the podcast with. And uh, it is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't like machine metaphors for the human brain. I don't think I think we've been lumbered with that, frankly, for the last forty or fifty years. But certainly, the whole way of making sense of things and you know as we aspire to recreate consciousness this matters more and more um and and that lovely duality in in Westworld about you know who are the good guys and who's in control and who's flawed and who you know Shakespeare tried to write about this as well you know yeah I mean I I think it 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 is interesting the the I mean I wasn't really trying to mean that, you know, our brain works like a computer. It was just this idea of having layers of consciousness. And, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. you realise... No, I, was, I was about to go down the... I was about to make the metaphor. It wasn't you that did it. It was me that was about to go along <laughs> that path, but it's not myself. But, but you, you know, I think that what is interesting is in modern computing is that uh, you have, you know, you keep ha- 
we keep adding layers and layers between us and the actual hardware. So, you know, you might be very well working in an operating system that is running on the virtual machine that is running on top of another operating system. There are mm -hmm. all these layers that basically allow us to manipulate reality in a simpler way instead of having to, you know, deal with hardware, which is, you know, deep and hard to understand. And I think that this is a metaphor to... Uh, a, a lot of things. It's also mm -hmm. interesting in in Westward the idea that um, these memories that uh, that kind of are left when they get reset, yes. uh, yeah. in in essence, are a base for their consciousness. It's uh, yes. it's a pretty interesting, and and you see as you go through it, it becomes more and more sophisticated. Is is yeah very well very well done. Have you been uh, watching uploads? No, it's a, it. it's a TV show on um, on Prime, uh, which is based in a not so distant future, like twenty forty something like that. Yeah. Um, where basically the base story is somebody die when when you die, you get uploaded in this virtual world. The story is not, I mean, like, I think I figured out the whole first season in the first episode, and uh, I'm, I, I keep watching it, and it's pretty much confirming what I thought. Um, so there might, I haven't finished it. it just, I might still be surprised, but so far it's not hugely creative. But the way they describe the future and, uh, and this virtual reality is actually pretty cool. Uh, mm. The way, you know, self-driving cars and how they're used uh, and uh, advertising and communication and uh, the rich, and the poor. I mean, <laughs> you literally have in-app purchases. One, once you get to this uh, digital heaven, depends on how rich you are, you know, you have in-app purchases where you, you, you need to pay for stuff. And it's... It's not amazingly good in terms of storyline, but I think that the way they're representing the future is pretty good and realistic. It's interesting how fast or other, you know, it's just looking at some of the videos, there's apparently a, a Boston Dynamics dog on the streets in Singapore warning people to keep their, their distance from each other, which the video just looks distinctly chilling having seen Black Mirror. And I saw another one of, I guess, somewhere in the States with delivery bots with a little flashing lights, more than one of them driving around the streets at the moment delivering food. And, you know, I, how many times have we talked about the way technology gets oversold and it'll probably take longer than we think. But then I sometimes think maybe it won't. Maybe things will just you know continue to accelerate and, and it will all happen quicker than we expect. I think that... In most cases, you have the feeling that it happened quicker than you expected once you get once you have it. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if you look back once you have it, you realize that things have been around for quite yeah. a while. I mean, if you look at uh, you know even companies like you know Facebook or Google, I mean. They have been around for a while. I mean, I yeah. I, I see reminders of stuff that I was posting on, on Facebook 12, 13 years ago. And it's yeah. a type of thing of saying, okay, you know, it all feels so new and so fresh to some degree. But actually, 
it took a very long time before it became, you know, the ubiquitous uh, thing that that now everybody's familiar with. So, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that there will be a moment where we say, "Oh, you know, it's amazing how quick, how quickly self-driving cars appeared." Uh, but then probably we'll look back and say, yeah, it was like 15 years ago. Do you remember 20, 10 mm-hmm. years ago, the first Teslas yeah, yeah. that were kind of self-driving? Yeah, who would have thought, right? Uh, we did, and we recorded this podcast to tell the people <laughs> of the future that we did. Uh, but, Our uh, own little time capsule. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I think the time is highly asymmetrical. And it's amazing how we don't realize how long some things have been around. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Doc Searles um, shared a, an article that he wrote in 1995, so pre his his blog. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was still so fresh uh, in the sense that a lot of the issues he was talking about are still rumbling around um, all these years later. And it... it uh, it can t- sometimes feel frustrating because, you know, there's so much prospect of the good side of, of this becoming manifest and it just seems to take forever. And, and again, going back to the start of the podcast and just the attitudes, the leg- legacy attitudes that we're still sort of dragging behind us and feeling sorry for those coders who are having to try and build things in that environment where the, the bulk of the people above them just still don't get it, you know. So, as you say, time time's relative and goes at very different speeds. I think that... The, the bottom line is that you know it takes time to to do things it takes time to develop i mean if i think i mean i i I registered my first domain name in night at the end of 1994 so Mm -hmm. 25 years ago which you know it's a nice chunk of time quarter of a century but on the other hand and uh you know, human human history. Twenty five years. It's not. It's not yeah, very long. Okay. So yes, it is true. We have much faster computer. There has been a huge growth in many things. But if we look, for example, at the processes uh, in writing software, uh, we're still figuring this stuff out as we go yeah. along most of the time because uh, it's a very artisanal process it's a very human driven uh, system and and you know it has only been around for you know a few dozen years so um, yes things are accelerating because some parts of the technology are accelerating but the way we adapt to technology yeah. and the way we embrace these things and change it's it's very slow because you know it's not just about your dad not figuring out how to swipe the button. I mean, most people on the street have no idea of, uh, you know, the complexity of building the tracing app and how it's actually going to work and how people do that. And, you know, how do they design it? How do they make decisions? How do you release it? How hard it is? How many moving parts there are? How many, how many, you know, pieces that can can break there are this is not very i mean everybody uses this technology but it's not truly understood of the complexity it has and i don't think that you know maybe nobody we will never get to the point where everybody's an expert but we might get to the point where there is a little bit more understanding of the fact that you know okay it's it's hard it's not 
it's not easy. It's not just kids doing, you know, their thingies on on phones. No, and, that, and that's why I was saying I, I sort of feel for the developers who put so much time and effort in to make it as easy as they can, and it's still hard. And it's the fact that people then get cross about it, you know, um, rather than just marvelling at this incredible thing that they, they have in their pocket, they get grumpy when it doesn't do what they expect it to immediately, you know? It's something that I, you know, I, I, I meet founders of companies all the time and uh, sometimes I help them to build, you know, software or apps or sites or things, you know, using our our develop design and development capabilities and you know the teams that we have here and in india but in order to try to set expectations every time i meet somebody new i tell them you know if you have facebook on your phone you will see that every two weeks you get a new version and if you look at the description of the release usually is bug fixing yeah. Now, think about this. Facebook is the largest piece of software that was ever created by humankind in terms of how many people is touching. This oh, is wow. a company that has billions of dollars and thousands and thousands of engineers working on this stuff. And still, every two weeks, they're set putting out another release, and it is bug fixing. Yeah. Now, you're about to start working with, you know, two schmucks in Ealing and a couple of developers in India. I promise you, you're going to have a lot of bugs <laughs> and it's going to take a lot of time to fix them. Well, and not just that, but the whole thing about meeting expectations. and, and Exactly. The thing is that you, you download an app written by somebody and you expect it to be as smooth as, uh, you know, yeah. stuff that has been created with, with, you know, millions of dollars of budget. And sometimes you actually get some pretty good stuff. But well, sometimes it can, well, sometimes the smaller, smaller companies can be more responsive. I mean, sometimes the bigger, bigger platforms and companies build their own problems in some respects they don't talk to each other and, and of course you know if you need to support two billion users you have the type of problem that if you're building in usable apps you don't have i mean i do appreciate this but i yeah. still think that there is a distance in terms of uh, appreciating the complexity of what a piece of software is and so you know honestly there is I'm never disappointed. I mean, I, you know, any app, even if I download an app and it doesn't work at all, I'm kind of saying, yeah, I know. You know, it's art. Maybe yeah, yeah. they'll get it yeah, right yeah. next time. It's, uh, you know, and if anything works, it's a miracle. I mean, yeah, you, you have to enjoy that moment because you were able to touch the idea of somebody else through a piece Ooh. of software. And that is a yeah, great I'm the, thing. I'm the same. I feel the same. But it's funny because it's sort of a bit like the uh, the assumptions made about the the, the um, data collection apps, and you know, again, listening to relatives talking about Zoom and um, the stories that went right about Zoom and the security. And there's no doubt that Zoom were sloppy, and there was some things that were dodgy. And yes, the servers are hosted in China, and blah blah blah. But people take all these little bits of information and turn it into devil incarnate, you know, and and won't touch it or. Some one of the other relatives was going on about Facebook. Oh, I would never put all my stuff into Facebook because they own all the data. And they, so you get these little memes, these little bits of information that sort of rattle around, 
And that must be so frustrating when you're trying to build a platform that 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 works for two billion people. It does. The, oh, something we should talk about. I didn't think about it, and it, I posted about this and got almost zero response on Facebook. But I see they've set up their uh, guiding council, or whatever they call it. I can't remember the name. Board of some description. Mm-hmm. And really interesting um, and heartening. I mean, it's it's a, a considerable number of people from a really diverse bunch of backgrounds. From the look of it, with some real teeth. I mean, I I, I read a a piece by one of the people who's involved in it. And uh, it did seem like an incredibly big step for Facebook to have taken and, and, and in the right direction as well. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read much. I mean, I've, I've seen the titles. I haven't read much about it. Yeah, it's worth looking, worth, for those of us, who, you know, those of you who are listening who use Facebook, worth looking into, because I, I certainly took it as, a, as an optimistic move on their part. They are growing up. If they could just get them to get rid of those bloody stories at the top of the interface that takes up about a third of my phone screen that I've never, ever touched and never intend using. Oh, don't that would be, be don't be like that. Maybe you like them. You, you should try. You know, the old, ephemeral ephemeral idea of... Uh, I mean, I, I, have, I, I have a whole bunch of friends that actually use stories a lot. And... Uh, I guess I see the point of, you know, you create something, you don't want it to be around forever. It's just, you know, well, you're... I, I, I've, I've seen something passing through there. I think that looks interesting. I can't get back to the bloody thing. I can't find it. And and that's actually, that touches on something else we were talking about before we started. But maybe it's something important. But it's not important, well, you know. I'll decide, but I'll decide the moment. You know, you look at, look at the stories. That is the moment. Seize the moment. If you missed it, you it, miss it. Put it up there in front of my face if it's not important. <laughs> but the, the thing about finding stuff, I was telling you before we started about our mutual friend Dave Snowden, who's just catalogued 1,500 books that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, men, most of them, well, not, no, actually, a lot of them non-fiction and some of them frighteningly expensive academic books. But he's rearranged his, li- his, his home bookshelves, which mm-hmm. he's got a whole room full of bookshelves. And he's put these all in the right order and he's catalogued them all and he's put them up on the web. And as so often, Dave made me feel guilty because I'm too lazy to be bothered doing any of that. But over the years, you know, I've made various attempts. Remember library thing? And then there was, uh, there's the online one that Tim, what's his name, runs. I've had various systems, Goodreads, you name it. I've tried them all on that naive assumption that at some point I will be able to and want to get back of it, back to a particular bit of information. And I just so rarely, it's all that effort and all that work, and I rarely do it. I, I've always found this, in, because I've never been very much about, you know, archiving information, saving yeah. bits. I mean, I, I've, I have worked in time with people that basically came to all the work that we did around around tagging and you know aggregation with topics um many of the people involved are the kind of people say oh you know i want to organize and they collect lists of bookmarks lists of things to read Uh, uh, it's the people that highlight uh, you know sentences in books so they can get back to it and uh I find this fascinating. I, I don't. I have never had 
the inclination of doing that and i don't it's not even something that i think oh i should do that i mean like no i won't i mean it's never gonna happen so i've always I, i've always liked the 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 challenge of organizing information and how you can try to manipulate information so that you can make it uh, easily available if you need mm -hmm. it but uh I've never been an information hoarder, if you want. You know, I don't feel the need to keep it somewhere in order to get back to it because I know that I won't. I mean, I yeah, I don't even reread. I don't. I I don't think I ever read a book twice. Oh yeah, I've I've got some books I've read four or five times, but um, but I don't. It's funny because I've, I've actually just got really nerdy about a thing called Zettelkasten, which is a German word apparently means a, a, a special sort of cabinet that you keep uh, index cards in. Mm -hmm. And there was this, um, I think he was a sociologist, but a, a German academic, who was incredibly prolific and produced lots and lots of books, partly off the back of his Zettelkasten. And it was, it was a technique for making notes, but referencing, referencing other notes in those notes. And keeping them all very short and lots of, lots of little small notes as you go through and notice things in books or whatever else. And that idea appealed to me enough that I spent a couple of hours over the weekend working out how to get a timestamp on the top of my text documents so that each document could be uniquely identified no matter what system I use in the future. And I had great fun for a couple of hours doing it and using scripting and all sorts of stuff. And then I thought, I'm never going to go back and look at any of this. So like you, I gave up. But there was the instinct was still there to try, you know. I guess that you know, if you, if you give me good enough search capabilities, I can probably find that thing yeah. again if I need. But yeah. on the other hand, there is so little time and so many Wikipedia pages to read that <laughs> uh, that uh, I, I must say there is one. There is one photos I've been looking for, and I know I have it in uh, um, my, you know, photos yeah. library. But uh, somebody, this is a photo of when I was probably 14, and somebody scanned it and sent it to me. And pr I imported it, but clearly I didn't. At yeah. the time, I didn't change. I usually do it. I usually assign a date so I can actually kind of... And, you know, it's a scan, so it has no location information. Yeah. And uh, even if... And usually search and photo works pretty well. But in this case, I mean, I, I remember the photo, but, you know, I'm wearing a shirt, yeah. a striped shirt. I tried stripes, doesn't work. I have a tiny little cat, but it's too small. It won't be recognizable as a cat <laughs> by the AI. I mean, I yeah. the, the other day I started browsing back in photos, but the problem is I have something like 30,000 photos in my, in my library. So, yeah, you know, just yeah. paging through them, it's not going to be. And that was a bit of information that I cannot find it. I mean, I have it, but I think I've lost it. It's funny how much we, I mean, I, ge, geotagging is one of the most unsung delights of technology these days. The fact that I use it all the time. I just try and remember something or remember or find a picture or remember what I did at a particular time. And I just trawl back through the maps in photos and, and there oh, they yeah. are, you know, it's, it's fabulous. I think photos are an amazing way of keeping track of things. What I find interesting is that um, the advance in, in search capabilities in photos are, I mean, I find them amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still meet 
plenty of people who are, don't even know they can do it. I mean, there is still oh, people yeah. they yeah. don't know that um, you know you can take your iPhone and search search for bicycle and find all photos of bicycles you have. Well, and you can use Siri for it. I mean, Siri and photographs is fantastic. Uh, and yeah. somebody posted the other day. You can even say, uh, or oh, actually, no, this was documents. It was find me the document about such and such that I was reading yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it will come back with the one that you you were using yesterday, you know. And likewise with photos, you can say find me the pictures of a beach in May 2013, sort of thing, you know. And it will just come yeah. back immediately. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's that's good, pal. We've managed after a rocky road to to end up on quite a, an optimistic note. Yeah. Try searching can... your photos with Siri. It works. <laughs> but most of all. Stay alert. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>